Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. All right, we are just hours away from UFC 264, just hours away from our second Conor McGregor headlined event of the year. And that's the first time we've been able to say that in five years, believe it or not. And we're just hours away from the likely end of a near seven-year competitive rivalry as we welcome you to the UFC 264 preview show here on MMAfighting.com. We're going old school this time around. Mm -hmm. I am Mike Eck. Being joined by Team Arizona, we have Jose Youngs, who is in Las Vegas right now, and we also have Mr. Sean Alshadi joining us from Arizona. And Jose, we've talked about vibes and crowds and buzzes for well over a year, maybe a year and a half on these talkback preview shows. But this is Las Vegas, man. This is a Conor McGregor headline card, and this is not... They seem fired up from where I'm sitting 2,600 miles away from Las Vegas. So how would you describe the vibe the night before? Oh, man. I will like when we when I when we when we did the reaction video to the press conference, I was telling you that I could it wasn't the same as the UFC 263 press conference like that was red hot like they those fans were red hot and the this press conference UFC 264 just felt kind of manufactured especially with all of the the Conor McGregor kind of doing the greatest hits as we called them it, it just felt weird this weigh the ceremonial weigh was nearly at capacity for the T-Mobile arena like there were at least 10,000 12,000 people in that arena to watch the weigh-ins obviously uh they didn't have the octagon and stuff like it was like kind of cut in half but from what we saw I didn't see many empty seats there and it was filled up at least 45 minutes before the fighters even hit this hit the hit the quote-unquote scales obviously they because they waited early in the day so uh I didn't feel the hype a ton until tonight but seeing the fans lining up to get in, seeing like the mini concert uh, when when we left, like there was like this concert on, on in the plaza, and seeing the other fighters that were just there in attendance, like when Brandon Moreno walked in, it was just as loud as when he walked in to fight. Twelve thousand people were chanting for Brandon Moreno, and he was just sitting in a seat. Charles Oliveira was signing autographs. I saw him sign a fan's popcorn bucket. Like that's how excited these fans are that just have fights back in Las Vegas. So yeah, the hype around this is finally palpable after so many after so many months away from fights without fans in Las Vegas. And of course, Sean, the two men on the marquee, Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor. Finally, we get this trilogy fight. There's been so many narratives heading into tomorrow night. Will the mean Connor come back and try to rattle some cages? How will Dustin Poirier handle it? Can Connor defend the leg kicks? Like every sort of cliche thing that you can 
throw out about this fight has been talked about. So in your eye, Sean, as we're like 12 hours away from this thing going down, maybe a little more as we record this, this trilogy fight, Poirier McGregor three, what in your eyes is the key storyline? Like what sticks out to you? It's been a really bizarre lead up in a, in a lot of ways, right? Because it is such a, it is such a dichotomy and it's such a polar opposite from what we saw earlier this year. I mean, with the, the old Connor versus the new Connor storyline, I feel like that's almost played out at this point, we haven't even reached fight week because it is definitely a, a, a thing. It's definitely a, key, a point of this, right? Where when we saw this fight earlier in the year, they're hugging, he's friendly, he's smiley. There's no trash talk. It was all just talk about, you know, this is for charity and all of this is good vibes. And then this week has just been so nasty. And it's, as we said, Connor is sort of playing the hits, but I don't know that they're landing in the way that they used to right like it feels very much forced it feels like he is reaching for something trying to find something that he can't quite find he's not really getting there i've seen a lot of people compare sort of his approach to this fight similar to what it felt like ronda rousey was doing before the holly home fight where she was just trying to find something to sort of latch onto there and it wasn't really working and you could kind of tell it's, it's a weird vibe like that because, I mean, even throughout the press conference at the weigh-ins, we saw it, him so fired up. Uh, and meanwhile, the, the again, the dichotomy of just Dustin being so stone-faced and so composed and smiley as all of this is happening across from him it is such a bizarre sort of visual to, to get with these guys. And it does feel as though Dustin has risen above all of this and is just kind of enjoying himself somehow in the midst of all this chaos, well, whereas Connor is trying to stew this chaos as much as possible. But to me, I mean, you go back to the original question, what's the biggest narrative in the storyline of this week? To me, it's one that's not even really being talked about much, which is really the historical ramifications of, of this whole thing, of all of this. Because I think if we would have gone back to 2014, none of us would have ever expected Dustin Poirier to be sort of this signature rival of Conor McGregor. I mean, he, he felt like he left Dustin Poirier so far in the rearview mirror, even as recently as a couple of years ago. And now this really has become some, one of a referendum on Conor McGregor's career and how much he has left and really who he was sort of like, we're sort of retroactively talking about a lot of this stuff, right? Where like if Conor loses to Dustin and he has then at that point lost three of his last four Still one win since the Obama era, as that gentleman in the pink suit pointed out on, on, on the press conference day. Man, that is a that's a tough hit to Conor McGregor's legacy because I've said this a lot over the years, but at some point you get better known if you're just losing all these fights. At some point, the casual public just knows of you as a loser. And Conor McGregor hasn't been doing a lot of winning at this uh, in recent years, man. It's been a long time other than that one Donald Cerrone fight if he loses to Dustin, it really does have such a huge impact on his career. It feels like moving forward, obviously, he'll still be a huge superstar. But you can't. it's so much harder to throw him into these high-stakes fights. You kind of have to relegate him to the Nate Diaz type of stuff. And also, you just look at, again, historical ramifications of all of this, right? Like Conor McGregor right now, as a lightweight, is what? 1-0? Uh, is that it? I mean, 1-1? 1-1? Because it would be an Eddie. Like... At a certain point, if he is just going to keep losing these lightweight fights, it is what it is. I mean, I guess I should say one and two. I messed that up right there. But at a certain point, if he keeps losing these lightweight fights, it really does reflect poorly on sort of the overall run that we've been on with him and then, and, and maybe how he's looked at in the grander scheme of things once all of this is done. And meanwhile, Dustin, he really could become one of the greatest lightweights of all time, at least like a top five figure. 
if he wins this fight and just continues forward because he he is the run he has been on outside of that Habib fight has just been spectacular and if Dustin is able to put away Connor twice in a row and really cement this series that we never thought he would he would get this sort of chance he is going to rise so far up those historical ranks uh it, it, it I think the historical stakes just generally for this fight are really being underlooked and, the, and they're really really weighty and important and they could have a huge effect on both men's careers you make a lot of great points and you kind of going through this whole thing and talking about this rivalry and how we got there and how we got to tomorrow. Like it made me think like, what if Dustin Poirier and Tony Ferguson actually fought last year? Like, would we even be having this conversation right now? Because then it led to Connor throwing out the charity thing. And here we are two fights later getting ready to close this trilogy. It's unbelievable. And, you know, Jose, we, we talked about the press conference. We talked about Connor's demeanor playing the greatest hits like Sean just alluded to, but after the ceremonials, he cut that promo, you know, Poirier, he's going to pay with his life. And man, I got to tell you, some people thought it was cheesy. It fired me up, man. The hairs on my arm were standing. I was excited. Like I nodded my head like, all right, here we go. Poirier, of course, reacts perfectly. He no sells it to the, to the nines. What was your biggest takeaway from the final three minutes or so from the ceremonial weigh-ins, like the final face-to-face, the final words before these guys will actually walk to the octagon on Saturday? I'll tell you what. Couldn't hear the word. I couldn't hear anything Conor McGregor said. Couldn't hear anything <laughs> Dustin Poirier said. It was that loud. It was that loud in that arena. So that's what I took away is I saw Conor. Well, I saw Conor. Conor McGregor didn't break eye contact with Dustin Poirier after they stared down to the point where when Joe Rogan was interviewing him, his back was to the crowd because Dustin Poirier was standing kind of behind him, like over here, and Conor kept looking at him. And talking to Joe, but his back was to us. I couldn't hear what he was saying. I couldn't see his mouth moving because of how loud it was. I could see Dustin just laughing and saying, yeah, all right, I'll see you tomorrow. So my biggest takeaway is the fans are very hyped. Whatever Conor McGregor said, as you alluded to, clearly got them more hyped. So I don't know if the ramifications for Conor's legacy is as on, is as on the line as people are saying because – I've said this a million times. Connor's biggest attribute outside of his actual fighting skills is he can convince anybody that he that like like Dustin Poirier kicked him in the legs a bunch and he's like, oh, you're a coward. You kicked me in the legs. Khabib Nurmagomedov shoots on for a takedown, and all of a sudden he's a coward. And then his fans are booing Dustin Poirier and calling him a coward because he kicked him in the leg. So Dustin, like Conor McGregor can make his fans believe anything as we've seen a million times. So uh, obviously he, uh, uh, you need to win this fight, but the, my biggest takeaway is regardless of what people might not care about this fight because it's a money fight or it's not really on for the belt or anything fans in attendance care. And based on my social media, when like I was tweeting, I tweet something about Conor McGregor. The planet, planet Earth cares about this fight a lot more than I think people people let on leading up to this, and I feel it more than ever today, Friday. Yeah, there's, there's a certain energy level that Connor brings to the table. So, Sean, I wanted to ask you this because you mentioned the stakes for Connor, like how catastrophic this could be if he loses this fight. What happens if Dustin Poirier loses this fight? Because this is a loaded lightweight division. You cannot take a step back whatsoever, and right now, of course, he is – the MMA fighting's number one ranked lightweight in our global rankings. So, I mean, there's a lot more at stake than than just a title shot. There's there's a spot in that rankings too. So what happens if Dustin Poirier loses this fight? Like how bad is it for him? Like, is it really bad? Per, well, professionally, I don't know that it's 
terribly bad, right? Because, I mean, Dustin Poirier, well, he would drop to what, number two or number three in terms of the lightweight grand scheme of things. Like, he's still one of the best lightweights in the world. I feel like we've sort of established that over the years with the run that he's been on, taking out Justin Gaethje, Eddie Alvarez, Max Holloway, Dan Hooker, Connor once. Like, he, he's been here. He's put together the resume. But, I mean, personally, like, outside of the professional nature of it, like, that's going to probably hurt him a lot, right? Like, that's going to be heartbreak city, if he loses for a second time to this guy who is sort of acting in this way and has been this figure in his life over the course of the years, man, because I, I mean, this has been inescapable for Dustin forever, right? Like I, I remember uh, talking to him. I'm trying to think of the event. It was UFC 211, I think. I was in. It was in Dallas. It was for the first Eddie fight, and that ended up in that no contest, right? And so that's 2017. At that point. He's basically three or four years removed from the first Conor fight. He's won a bunch of fights. He's changed divisions. He's not that guy anymore. And I watched multiple interviews in a row at a media day uh, while I was waiting in line to talk to Dustin. Literally, the whole interviews during that day were, hey, do you remember when you lost to Conor McGregor three years ago? That must have sucked, right? I watched multiple dudes have basically five minutes of just those kind of questions to Dustin three years later. Like that, that loss followed him so much. And it was again, inescapable. It was a ghost. He could not, he could not shake. And then he finally shook it in January. And then if it, if it, that, all that comes crashing down just a few months later. And, and it once again, just sort of becomes this thing in his life that he has, that is just a fact at that point. And he's not getting it back. And you know, you lost two or three, you lost the series. I would imagine personally for Dustin, that is going to hurt a lot. With that, it is pick time, gentlemen. Jose Youngs, who ends the trilogy with their hand raised in victory tomorrow night? I definitely think it's a lot closer. Like a lot, I've seen a lot of pundits and people on Twitter say that Dustin's just going to tear through him again. I do believe Connor when he says about eighty-five percent of his last camp was preparing for Manny Pacquiao because he chose Dustin for that charity boxing match because he's specifically a southpaw to get ready for Manny Pacquiao. I do believe that. I mean, there's a reason Phil Sutcliffe, his boxing coach, isn't here in Las Vegas because he's not focusing on his boxing. He's focusing on mixed mixed martial arts. Um, That being said, I do favor Dustin. I'll probably pick Dustin to win. I have no idea how he's going to win, but I do think this is much closer to 50-50 than people think because I know – the Connor that we're seeing, like I said, manufactured, playing the best hits, drumming up drama that's not there. Maybe that's more for Connor. Maybe that's not to like tear down Poirier. Maybe that's what he needs in his head. He needs to hate Dustin Poirier to destroy him. He needs to tell himself, I need to send this man on a stretcher. And I, I'm just assuming that I'm not, I have no connection to Connor's camp right now. I'm just basing it off of his best performances. That's what we've seen him do. Yes, the, the Cowboy fight, it is what it is. He was friendly with that. But Cowboy himself said he wasn't really mentally in that fight to begin with. So Connor, what, going back to his roots with his trash talking probably helps him mentally. I think this is a 50-50 fight, but I do, I'm do. i going to lead Dustin because I, I read some stat that in trilogy fights, the winner of the second fight almost always wins the third fight. And I love stats. I'm a baseball man. Based on that, I'm going to pick Dustin Poirier. Third round TKO. Sean, your thoughts. Who who walks out of the T-Mobile arena with a huge win? 
Yeah, I, I agree with Jose on two different points here. One, the idea that I think this is going to be a lot closer and it just generally is a lot closer than people are, are making it out to, to be, right? Because you have two camps, you have people who think Dustin, oh, this is easy. Dustin's going to win again. It was no problem the first time. It'll be no problem the second time, which isn't true because it was it, it was a very close and competitive fight up until the knockout in that, in that rematch. And then you have people who just think Connor is just going to wash Dustin and, and you know, the Connor diehards. I do think it's somewhere in the middle, like Jose is saying. I mean, that second fight was so ultra competitive. And I do believe Connor when he was saying, when he essentially says that he trained boxing for most of that camp and also that he kind of, you know, thought it'd be easier. He thought he was going to walk through Dustin. He already did it once. He, he was coming in ultra confident. I think that's a lot of why he was acting the way he was acting. He was looking past him to a certain degree, which he has already said. And I, I actually agree with him. I mean, I feel, that feels right. Uh, but that being said, Dustin, there's something about Dustin Poirier right now, man. He really does ex seem to exude the confidence of a man who knows something that the rest of us don't. And there is always is always a weird, there's always a weird thing when someone has that sort of mindset coming into a fight, right? Where they just have so much belief in themselves and they just are paying no attention to the noise. I do believe that the Connor trash talk and the way he is acting for this fight is mostly for himself because he's totally right. Like the way that he used to to get himself so wound up into these fights, uh, it really seemed to work for him. And and ever since, man, the the friendly Connor. I mean, the, we've only seen it a few times, but it didn't really work out. It does absolutely feel like Connor McGregor is doing a lot of this one to market the fight, make himself more money, but also to really get himself in some place that he maybe hasn't been able to find for a long time when you it's the old when you're waking up on silk sheets satin sheets type of thing he is so oh, uh, obscenely wealthy at this point he has a family multiple children he's not that guy who was there at ufc 178 he's not that hungry young up-and-comer who is still scrapping and clawing for everything he can get that's not his that's not been his life for a long time and i do feel like he is trying to put himself back into that place and that mindset with this with this uh conversation that he has started around this fight that being said ultimately making the pick i agree with jose i it does feel as though this is dustin's fight to lose he is the favorite for a reason uh we I, anything can happen with conor mcgregor we've seen that guy pull off the impossible we've seen him pull off the magical time and time again but i do agree i think dustin Poirier wins it i think he wins by knockout probably mid-round similar to the first fight maybe drags him into the third round fourth round something like that but i, I do call a knockout for dustin Poirier. This sport is so crazy, right? Just like the last 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes, you, like you could go down a psychological rabbit hole of this fight and, and look at so many different angles. And one thing that always sticks out to me with MMA when it comes to situations like this is momentum means so much in this sport. And it's not like a recency bias thing because MMA is so recency bias based, but Dustin Poirier has a lot of momentum right now. Like, And there's a lot on the line for both of these men. But I feel like Poirier just has more ways to win this fight like he's eaten connor's big shots he's dealt with it and connor is super elusive and he's so good at making adjustments i just don't know if he and his team can construct the right type of game plan in six months to defeat in my opinion the absolute best 155 pound fighter in the world so i've been wrong before i may be wrong tomorrow night but my gut is telling me i'm getting pre gasolum Izzy vibes right now that this thing is going to be ridiculous. There's going to be a lot of heart, a lot of will displayed by both guys. And I think we're going to see a fifth round. And I think we're going to go to the judges in a classic 25 minutes. But I think Dustin Poirier digs deep. He gets a decision after a big fifth round, maybe even hurts Connor down the stretch. 
but I think this is going to be one of those fights we're talking about at the end of the year. We're like, hey, remember, remember the trilogy fight between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier? Man, oh man, was that a great fight! And I think we're going to kind of have that same conversation uh, moving forward through the rest of 2021. So that's the main event. Sign me I up do for that. T- sign yeah, sign me up it. for that. That sounds wonderful, right? Like I want to see Conor get that cage time. I want to see this guy get dragged into that type of uh, type of fight. Jose, I think both you and I were there for Diaz Conor too, right? Like that we is sat such next a, to each other. We sat we next, sat to, each next to each other during that madness, man. Like that is, that is what I want to see from this. I, if that is, if that is where we get out of this, I am so overwhelmingly happy no matter who wins it because that, like, we just need more moments like that with this guy. We've been so deprived of Connor fights through the years, but we know he's capable of something like that. I would love to see that kind of outcome. Well, to I think me, this is the way the trilogy has to end. One, one, one last final thing I want to add is a lot of people say like, whose legacy will be affected the most with a, a win and a loss. I am on. I am. 100% in the boat that it depends on how you win and how you lose. Like Sean says, and what you said, if that is Izzy Gastelum, both stocks rise, both their careers take off. One of them goes out there and loses in five seconds in Hori Masvidal style fashion. That's rough. So ask me again after the fight happens. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to touch on the co-main event, Sean, if we could, because we got Gilbert Burns versus Steven Thompson. This is a very important fight, 170 pounds. And with a Connor Poirier fight, it flies under the radar no matter how good this fight is. But, I mean, just just thinking about this, Gilbert Burns versus Steven Thompson with where these guys are at in their careers, how good is this fight leading into Poirier McGregor 3? Oh, it's excellent. It's excellent and it's so needed, right? Because this welterweight division, we've talked about it a lot, Mike. Like this welterweight division is a is still at this point a complete and total mess. We don't really actually know what's going on. We keep hearing that Kobe Covington versus Usman is going to be the fight, but who knows? Negotiations with Kobe never seem to be easy. The UFC and him, you know, you never know where their relationship is. If if he's asking for two who I have a price, then you have Leon Edwards out there who still deserves the fight. And Man, we've said it a couple times, but if Wonder Boy wins this fight here on Saturday, he very well could be that guy who's thrown into the mix too, right? Like if he he might be that dude who's just then the next man up if, if something happens to Colby. So this is a crazy important fight. I love the stylistic matchup of it. I honestly wouldn't mind if if Stephen Thompson gets that title fight with Kamar Usman if he's able to win because it is such a different type of style matchup than we've seen against Usman so far. I think that'd be very compelling to see Usman try to figure out that puzzle. Uh, but ultimately, I mean, these are two of the best welterweights in the world. It's been hilarious to see Steven Thompson being thrown into this chaotic fight week as he just remains the nicest human being on the planet, just out of, of floating above it. Uh, I, I love it. I love everything about this fight. To me, Jose, and I don't know if we've talked about this before, I feel like all the pressure is on Steven Thompson here. Very little pressure on Gilbert Burns heading into this fight, especially while Kamara Usman is still the welterweight champion. Now, if he fights Colby and Colby wins the belt, that makes things a little bit different. But this could very well be the last chance for Stephen Thompson. He might be in like Ric Flair territory where you got to keep winning or those title aspirations just go away. Do you agree with that? And if so, like how much will that pressure or in Burns's case potentially lack thereof pressure factor into this co-main event? Well, I tell you what, Gilbert Burns feels the pressure himself. Like he said it himself. His words were, it's a lot easier to get your first title shot than it is your second title shot. So if you go back and watch that media day, it's a different Gilbert Burns than we've seen at welterweight. It is 
like shorter answers, not as jovial. Uh, I don't know if something's going on with the weight cut or whatever. Obviously, he was a lightweight moving up, so I don't think the weight cut was much of a factor. But from everything I've seen with Gilbert Burns, he's putting all the pressure on himself because he knows you lose two in a row, you're probably not going to get a title shot at all in the next three or four years, especially in this welterweight division. Now, Stephen Thompson probably has the pressure just based on age because you lose uh, to Gilbert Burns, who just lost for the title at the age of uh, Stephen Thompson's closer to 40. Uh, you got to think that's the swan song. But what I think Stephen Thompson has is he's, as you said, he's one of the more popular fighters in the division. I think he's a fighter that fans can get behind. Uh, I don't know if he fights Kamara Usman. Just, and it's just an, such an unfortunate place for him to be in because the champion has beef with, I think, like, what, three or four fighters above him. Uh, and if we're talking about, like, because let's not forget, these individuals are prize fighters. So if Kamaru Usman wants to f- take the fight, that makes him the most money. All power to him, especially because people should get paid as much as possible for getting punched in the face. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> Stephen Thompson is probably not the one that's going to bring those, uh, bring that money. But I'm with Sean. A, a high-level performance with, uh, for Stephen Thompson, uh, like a knockout or something, or just like a 30-25 Sign me up for Stephen Thompson versus Kamar Usman. But I disagree with you little. I don't think it's as much pressure on Stephen Thompson as people are saying. Okay. Sean, I'm going to let you make the pick first for this one. This is such a good fight, man. The more I think about it, so the more good. I like it. It's so Fantastic. good. You go with Gilbert Burns to bounce back from his first title fight loss or Stephen Thompson to take another step towards getting back to that title shot. It's so good. It's so I know I didn't so really say that, but I can't. I can't help myself. I love this fight. I can't wait for it. Uh, Stephen Thompson is the youngest thirty-eight-year-old man I have ever seen in my life. Like that dude looks like he's twenty-five. Like it's 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 fa- frankly frustrating as a human being who lost his hair at like age twenty to see how young that dude looks. Like I'm just obscenely jealous of that. But that is neither here nor there. As Jose does whatever he's doing to his little. What is that, a man bun? That's not a man bun, like ponytail? What do we call that? No, it's it's, it's, it's top knot, my guy. I mean, it's like a man bun. It's fine. Uh, sure. But anyway, the, the pick for me is Steven Thompson. Uh, I do think he gets it done, and I think he does feel sort of the moment that he's in right now, right? Because he is, we joke about it, but he is 38, and this is not coming back for him. This is really it, and he feels that idea that this is not coming back if I can't handle business on this one. I think he is absolutely as locked in and laser-focused as can be. Uh, Gilbert Burns still has a lot of time to to be able to do what he wants to do in this game. I'm picking Steven Thompson for this one, but I think it's going to be a very close fight, a very competitive fight, and I could see it going to to a very, very close decision. Jose, what do you think? Um... I'm picking Stephen Thompson too, probably 30, 27, maybe 29, 28. Uh, I think uh, Gilbert Burns' uh, comments after his loss to Kamaru Usman, where he he saw, like when he saw, when he clipped Kamaru, his phrase was, I went Cody Garbrandt crazy. You can't get fr- you can't get frustrated against Stephen Thompson. Like that's Stephen Thompson's game plan. He just keeps you at a distance, and then he takes you out of your game plan. And all of a sudden, you spend 15 minutes fighting into his game plan. Like how many times have we seen that? Uh, we've seen it against who? Like Rory McDonald was trying Imanari rolls to get through. It didn't work out for him. Jorge Masvidal just kept running into like a side front kick. Uh, Vincente Luque now had a lot of success with his left hook that Stephen Thompson would like throw that sidekick and they come with the one, two and Vicente would find the home for the left hit, left hook. Gilbert Burns is a very good hook, left hook. I don't know if Stephen Thompson, I'm sure Stephen Thompson is the one that could, can acknowledge that and work around that. So if he can avoid that and avoid the ground, obviously the fight is his. 
But Gil, I'm not going to count Gilbert Burns out whatsoever, but I think it's clearly Stephen Thompson's fight. So when I think he's a top five welterweight in the world. Of course, Luke is part of the storyline too, since they Burns and Luke have such a close relationship. So you know they've yeah. talked about you know some of the mistakes made. Exactly. It's such a really interesting matchup, and I like the fact that both guys brought in specialists to help them with the, their opponent's specialty. Like Stephen Thompson's working with Ryan Hall to get ready to fight Gilbert Burns, and Gilbert Burns brings in freaking Raymond Daniels to get ready to fight Stephen Thompson. I love it, but I feel like for some reason, as interesting as this fight is, I have a feeling Gilbert's going to fall in love with his striking a little bit too much here, which Gilbert's a very good striker, very powerful, very dangerous. Ask Kamar Usman about that. But I think that's going to be his downfall in this fight. I think Thompson not only wins, I think he finishes him. I think Thompson surprises people. I think we're going to – I don't know if we're going to get Johnny Hendricks win 2.0, but I think we're going to see something like that where Stephen Thompson's like, if you don't give me a title shot now, like you guys are out of your minds. He probably won't get it, but at least he'll be next in line. So I think Wonderboy has a great performance. I think it's an interesting fight until he lands that shot, and it's going to be one of those like – highlight real finishes and if things if, if things go down the way i say it's going to happen this can be the greatest pay-per-view of all time so uh <laughs> last, thing, <laughs> last thing and 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 by the way gentlemen i'm taking nico price michelle Pereira out of this discussion because this is too oh, easy of a pick i'm on. taking it out Mike's of the discussion killing me we know how good that that fight's going to be so jose <laughs> low-key banger or i know you like to go the other route under the radar fighter storyline heading into tomorrow night I'm super curious how Ilya Tapora is going to fare against Ryan Hall. Ilya Tapora has, I, for what, like, we don't see a lot of people criticizing Ryan Hall a lot. He's kind of a cult hero in the, amongst the fight fans. Ilya Tapora had nothing positive to say about Ryan Hall at the media day. I asked him, does anything about Ryan Hall's striking impress you? Because after all, he trains with Learning Boy, and he openly laughed at me. He laughed in my face. Like, come on, bro. Are you serious? I was like, I guess not. I just wanted to talk. Tell me something else besides tell me something else besides Ryan Hall's a good grappler. He laughed at me. Said Ryan Hall is not as good as people say. Said his jujitsu is great. It's good. I'm better. I'm not impressed. I have zero respect for this man. So my under the radar thing is I think people are overlooking Elite Tapora just because they're Ryan Hall is such a fan favorite. I'm sure our producer Casey Lyon behind the camera is shaking in anger right now, but uh, I am very, very curious how Elliot Tapora uh, performs against Ryan Hall because he talked a big game in media day. He talked a big game on social media. Ryan Hall is clearly just like, all right, cool, cool, man. Like, I'm glad you're confident. Uh, but I think I, for my low key person, I want to see how Elliot Tapora fares. I want to see if uh, he can, uh, back up all the talk he's been doing you know what sean i changed my mind with you because you've written two tremendous features this week leading into this card and if anyone can paint a word picture about a fight like nico price and michelle perherta it's you my man so if you want to use that fight you go right ahead because I, I can't wait to to hear you put this fight into words <laughs> Well, I was going to disregard your rules anyway and say that that's absolutely the pick. I mean, that's ridiculous. Like this fight is everything that like if Jed, if our good friend Jed Mishu was here, he would actually just spontaneously combust. This is the fight circus of UFC fights. Like you can't put together a more absurd and ridiculous fight between two dudes who are just absolute maniacs, psychopaths in the best possible way. I have no idea what's going to happen in that fight. It might last two seconds. It might just be the craziest 15 minutes we've ever seen. I'm just getting stoked just like talking about it nico price was telling us this week that you know he quit smoking weed after after he got suspended and now he is more hyper 
more hyper was his words. I don't even understand what a more hyper version of Nico Price is, but I, I want to see it. That sounds fantastic to me. Also, I mean, Jose mentioned it, the Ryan Hall fight. Uh, I am so here for any Ryan Hall fight ever. I totally agree with Casey when it comes to that that subject. I mean, it's a, it's a shame and a crime that we haven't seen this dude more and that he can't get more fights. So I'm just excited to see the weirdness that that guy's going to bring into the cage. But ultimately, I still stand for the NBK, natural born killer, Carlos Condit, Max Griffin. I talked to Carlos Condit earlier this week and I had a little trip down memory lane with him. And it, it, I mean, this is a guy who has just been in this game at this point, almost 20 years. He's going on year 20 almost. And he has his, his career. I wrote this in the piece. It's sort of this almanac of MMA history where he has just been at all of these stops that if you, if you just sort of look down the timeline of MMA, it's all these notable things of, you know, Pancrase and Rumble on the Rock and Ring of Fire and WEC and just all of these spectacular promotions throughout the history of this sport. He he is one of the all-time greats. I don't know if there's a welterweight still active right now who really has the resume and that that covers the breadth and the the just history of Carlos's. So it was really fun to to sort of revisit a lot of those old fights with him and see what stuck out to him over the course of his legendary career. But I am always here for a Carlos Condit fight. I, I still love the fact that. This guy's going. He told me that he is still as excited and he, and he still enjoys this sport as much as he did 20 years ago. And he still he feels it. He feels that it's coming to an end. So he is treasuring every moment right now. That makes Max Griffin Carlos Condit fight for me. That's probably the one I'm most excited about here on this undercard. Outside of the obvious craziness. Yes, it, to me it's Ryan Hall versus Ilya Teporia because something crazy is going to happen in this fight, and someone's allure, if you will, is going to take a hit. Like Teporia looks like a future title contender, no doubt about it. And Hall is such a, I mean, I'll use wizard and pun intended, but he's such a wild card because this guy is out here spin kicking Darren Elkins and dropping him in his last fight. Like nobody saw that coming. So who knows what this guy's been up to between then and, you know, right now heading into this fight for the fir his first event since December of 2019. So outside of healing up some injuries, but I will say, this is the New England bias in me. I'm telling you right now, this Sean O'Malley-Chris Moutinho fight is going to be a banger. Moutinho, you saw the face-off. Yeah. Moutinho just got right there. He is not going to be intimidated by Sean O'Malley. One iota. I think Sean wins. I think he gets his highlight reel finish that most people expect him to get, but he's going to get cracked. He's going to have to earn it because Chris is going to be right in his face. I've seen Chris fight many times. He's just not going to back down. So it should be fun while it lasts, but Sean will eventually get that win. But I think that fight's going to be a lot more fun and have some really good moments could be the fight of the night for as long as it lasts. I'm throwing all sorts of I mean, darts out there. Let's I, not get no, too crazy. Will, Nico Price no, is going to be the fight of the I night. Agree. Come on. I'm glad. I, Maybe. I just want to, I want to add one thing. Cause I obviously Mike, you're still back there, but uh, the Rhode Island jujitsu scene where I'm from, I have a lot of friends from like elementary school and high school that are now in that scene. I think I probably got 15 to 20 text messages specifically about Chris Montino and how they train with him every day. And all of them, said this is probably going to win fight of the night i said probably not but at least you're at least you're staying uh on you're 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 going with the, the new england crowd so good for you mike i mean Listen, i just I'm, have I'm to say taking shots oh, no, go ahead, go ahead, please. Go ahead. Go ahead mike. no i'm just saying i'm taking shots you probably have way something way more compelling to say it's i definitely don't i all i have to say <laughs> is that I, I love that on almost every single fight that we've talked about so far on this show and just ultimately looking at on this card 
at, at various points in these conversations, we've said, this is going to be crazy. This is good. There's so Dude. much can happen here. These fights are going to be crazy. Every single one of them were saying that. The, the matchmaking on this card is really spectacular, and it does feel like it has a chance to be one of, if not the best cards of the year, just with the way that the styles go in on a lot of these fights, man. I mean, you look at that uh, featured prelim of, of little those four fights set on the featured prelims, like all of those are absolute bangers for the most part. Like I am so damn excited for this whole whole Saturday night to come, man. It can't come soon enough. Omari Akmanov and Brad Tavares on the early prelims, that fight rules, and I want the winner of that to fight the loser of Trevin Giles, Driggis Duplessis. Driggis Duplessis, I think, is a very bright prospect in middleweight, so don't forget about those fights either. Yeah, Jennifer Maya and Jessica I, two former title con- contenders, both or made weight. challengers are fighting. Yeah, both made weight. <laughs> they're fighting in the they're fighting on the prelims too. This is crazy. Thirteen fight card, ladies and gentlemen. Prelims start six p.m. Eastern time. Then the ESPN prelims eight Eastern. All bangers followed by the main card at 10 p.m. Eastern. Use the code in the link that you're watching on right now to order UFC 264 on ESPN Plus pay-per-view tomorrow night. And, of course, we will have you covered across the board. Videos, interviews, results, highlights, all that stuff. So stick with us over at MMAfighting.com. That's it. Get some sleep, everybody. For Jose Youngs and Sean Alshadi, I am Mike Keck. Thank you for checking out the UFC 264 preview show here on MMAfighting.com. We'll see you tomorrow night. Sons in four. five. Sons and Five. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. 